Talking Monster Right, the 150th episode of Finding Monster Right, the show about finding monsters. Monsters being that which lurks in the hearts of men. Men being... Yes, right, and... Uh. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm answering this multiple choice, or multiple question question. Well, that is a good... Uh, preview of this episode because in 150 episodes which you know for some of these uh hi i'm ali hi i'm adam and a whole mewtwo of episodes yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> an entire mewtwo monster right is just floating in a big tube like is this all <laughs> i am a laboratory experiment <laughs> this is not meant to be my destiny. And then, like, the lights explode, and then, like, you know, he flies out with his little bow tie and his little headphones and his little one orc fang. Yep, and all his armor falls off. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, Finding Monster Right in armor would be dope. Can we get, like, a really, like, over-the-top, like, 80s anime, like, Monster Right in, like, crazy Mewtwo armor? It's pretty great. <laughs> I, I like it, but he's still got, like, the bow tie on top, of course. Of course, of course. That's how you know it's not That's how you know it's monster rights. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, for our milestone episodes like this, uh, like 150, uh, sometimes we like to do a little, like, talkback episode. And the past couple Talking Monster Right episodes, listening back to them, it's just kind of us just, like, circling back to the same things over and over. And, like, mm. you can only say, like... Yeah, sometimes we take a monster and we put him in a situation. <laughs> yeah, it's you know I really like it when a monster is in a unique situation. I, That's a fun episode type. We we should do more of those. I do the editing, and sometimes my life is hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we get enough of that in the main show. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right, bud. Okay, dear. Let's get. So. Uh, this week, I thought we could go into uh, one particular episode that I thought was a little underserved. Like, you know, it was good, but mm -hmm. I was aware of a lot more going on behind the scenes. So I thought we could just do a deep dive into our D&D &D episode. Yeah, so uh, we're, we're going to debut a kind of show format here. This might be my off-ramp. This might be like the episode of The Office where it's like, why do I care about Dwight's family? Yeah, boy, Ali, we keep hearing about your family fun adventures at the farm. Yeah. But there's no cutaways to them. You just It's just people saying, boy, you sure want to see this show, don't you? Right. Well, anyway, join me inside the Dungeon Master's studio for an evening of... I can't do the James Lipton thing the whole time, but for an evening of questions of the Dungeon Master's craft. <laughs> I don't know what the theme for Inside the Actor's Studio is, so I'm just going to do, uh, so I'm just going to do the conga from, from, uh, from uh, the, the movie 
the conga that was conga, really big. Right? Yeah, in in the yeah. in 1974, uh, it was it was a movie, and that's what the song is from. Don't look it up, but it's true. <laughs> Why don't you kick off the the intro then? Welcome, students, to an evening of questions, and more interestingly, perhaps, an evening of answers. You were supposed to laugh. My guest this evening is a dungeon master of stage and screen. He is less than 200 pounds, over six feet tall. His wife's name is Alex. Um, the only monster he said he would fuck is Grendel's mom. Um, We've known each other for 29 years. It's really hard to, it's really hard to describe. <laughs> That's precisely why it's so hard to describe you. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's all secondhand knowledge. It's all like, it's all like there's so much. What do I pick? So he has a Costco membership. <laughs> His name is Adam Lima. Am I pronouncing that correctly? <laughs> no, it's uh, Adam Lima. Hey, how's it going? Adam Philip James Lima. It's a, a lot of names. The first. <laughs> Probably only. Are all the questions going to be asked in this uh, cadence? I can't, possibly. <laughs> right, okay. I get, like, it's like I want to... But also, I'm looking at that, like, waveform in my head of this episode, and I'm seeing a lot of blanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's begin with our first question of the evening. Stop, Allie, stop. Okay. Uh, so, so, hi, my name's Adam. Uh, I'm a dungeon master. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, this is an interview. <laughs> uh, I, my, my D&D world is called K Caldera. So, let's ask the first question. Uh, I could... I thought about what questions I would ask, and I started by thinking, like, what was, why did you make this D&D setting? And I figured the answer was probably something adjacent to to play D&D with my friends. So rather than that, I'm going to ask this question. Okay. Set a scene for us at the core of this world. If we were to descend and conduct this interview from within the setting itself, describe, mm -hmm. without using any proper nouns, the most quintessentially K Caldera place within K Caldera, where we could possibly have tonight's discussion. Okay, so a um, a derelict ship mm. uh, floats in the center of a, a crater caused by a volcanic destruction of the distant past. On this ship is uh, not crabs and semi-aquatic sea life, uh, but rather a group of gambling thieves and nobles betting on the two combatants on the floating ring in front of them. On one side is a blood-covered cultist, and on the other is a, looks like a, a uniformed uh, commander with a uh, a knife between his hands and uh, grit teeth, ready to defend himself. Uh, as these two battle, uh, the camera pulls up to a, uh, a, a booth 
where the riches of the rich uh, uh, shout and bet as if they were on a, uh, a Wall Street outing. Uh, and in the corner of that room is where the real dealing happens. And that is where this podcast equipment is set up. And you were talking to me. Excellent. I feel like having played a game or two in Kate Goldera, that was very evocative. Oh, thank you. You did use one proper noun, but that's Wall Street, which was not... <laughs> I mean, that I, the rule about not using any proper nouns is more like just so I, I thought people... that would be proper nouns I made. Yeah, yeah, because otherwise, like, it's like that Phil Jameson sketch where it's like page one of any sci-fi novel where it's like... <laughs> the, the juniper cracked its fluorescent tentacles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're supposed yeah. to be like, ooh, intriguing, but in reality, you're like, I don't know what a knock is, and I don't <laughs> care. Where is Kiana? Like, is that a name? Is that a person? Is that a country? Who knows? Is, is Kiana larger than Breadbox? <laughs> mm. So, let's start with one proper noun. Okay. What does the name K Caldera refer to? Uh, K Caldera is a fancy way of saying Caldera Bay. I think it might be French. Uh, K for bay, or some equivalent there. Uh, Caldera is based off the setting, which is a uh, the kind of a destroyed island habitat. It's The island's based off of Santorini. That was once a volcano. A huge explosion happened, and in the, in the present, it's now just a uh, kind of a C-shaped island. Uh, because, uh, you know, you know, you know, explosions go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, the, that's that still kind of evo- evokes the same uh, setting, and the it has a kind of a very tight passageway that that takes you from the inner bay to the outer ocean. And uh, yeah, this is uh, became a major pirate haven some hundred years before uh, the games that I usually play take place. Hmm. And uh, there are three rough segments of K Caldera, right? Correct. There is the uh, the the, kind of the rough and tumble dregs, where the uh, the it's where the the low lives live. Uh, it's run by uh, a casino based group. Uh, above them is the merchant circle, where uh, a lot of these kind of stolen goods are pilfered off and traded. Uh, between the the lower class and the upper class that live in the upper crust, uh, uh, this Kekalair uh, also functions as sort of a noble haven, hey, an overseas land where the richest people can escape the wrath of the empire to try and make it on their own and try and kind of live secluded lives based off their uh, misfounded riches. Pirates, in a different sense. Mm. Uh, but they lord over the rest of the island. I was going and, to say, uh, everybody on Cape Caldera is a lowlife, kind of. Yeah, yeah, right. It's more about how nicely you're dressed. Mm. <laughs> That's all class is at the end of the day, right? <laughs> right. It's, it's, yeah, it's funny because it's like, yeah, there's a, uh, there's a class structure to this city of thieves. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like you can't escape that almost. <laughs> yeah, uh, no matter what, wealth is still going to divide even in this microcosm hmm. of uh, the world. Now, you mentioned the Empire, the very same Empire that uh, Ren Audubon, my character from our D&D game, is a uh, soldier of. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that Empire? The Gabrian Empire. 
mm. uh, spans the rest of the known world. <laughs> and that's a that's kind of a, a, a loose span. Uh, it's one of those uh, classic tales of, like, you know, Alexander the Great, where it's like, ah, look, these are my lands, and if I keep reaching really quickly, I can briefly hold all of this. <laughs> uh, the the shape of the world that Keiko there takes place on, which I think it's, I still don't have a proper name for, uh, has a, a ring system surrounding it, which means that uh, because of the <laughs> the way that the sun hits that ring and the shadows travel across the planet, a lot of it is icy and uninhabitable. Uh, but around the center, where the rings are have the least amount of effect, is this very habitable uh, ring of uh, oceans, islands, and uh, kind of uh, nations that are ruled by uh, the the empress of the Gabrian Empire. Uh, they And yeah, there's a kind of far icy reaches where it's like, this is a country, and the empire shows up and says like, you will are part of the empire now, and they could probably not even name the, uh, the group that they belong to. <laughs> but uh, they're like, yeah, sure, I guess. <laughs> Do we have to change anything? No? All right, cool with me. Send you a couple soldiers every now and then? No problem. Uh, however, the uh, the K Caldera lies in the center of the Stygian Sea. Uh, I refer to it as the navel of the world, where it's kind of the, the core, the center, the, the little ball of the Pokeball, <laughs> the, the button that you press. And it's like, uh, the, the idea is like, my empire is not complete unless I have that critical piece there, because it is a major trade route that uh, across that, that sea. So, be, uh, because it's missing, and because uh, it became a big territory uh, that was wars waged over, it's the last free city in the world because the pirates essentially won. <laughs> the empire cannot command a naval force strong enough to take them on. Mm. Uh, so, the uh, their current attempts to take control of Keiko there uh, consist of the Falcon Corps, which about forty so years ago they deployed to slowly but surely grab a foothold in the island's kind of power struggle between its various factions. That's the thing. Even though pirates do own the island, there's not it's not a utopia. It's a it's a bunch of now it's a bunch of warring pirates that can't decide who the island belongs to. I like how many levels of subversion our like cultural expectations are in where it's like, now listen, <laughs> even though this is an island run by pirates, it's not a perfect world. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, there's, uh, I think, uh, it was in George R. R. Martin had, which uh, inspired some of the setting uh, when it came to the uh, the doom of Valyria and such. Mm. Uh, but he uh, he had a big thing about like, all right, well, look, Aragorn as a king, what do you mean he was a good king that ruled fine for a hundred years? What were his policies? What was up with that? Uh, it's it's one of those where it's like, sure, it'd be nice to. I like to think that countries world's uh p power is never a fixed thing it's never a firm thing and it's always when you think about it like you look at our own uh borders alone for the united states it's like it's kind of crazy that there's a north and south this and a west and nothing virginia <laughs> <laughs> but like it, there's a whole sometimes you follow rivers sometimes people argue over <laughs> things and you have a new version of this or that uh, geography can be a really crazy thing, and yeah, uh, I like the idea of something that's so valuable is that no, it's not a one 
group rules the, the land. A lot of people want it. And uh, if one group won the rule, they'd have to make a lot of corpses in their wake. Speaking of those groups, mm-hmm. uh, there are 12 factions collectively running K Caldera. Uh, and when I wrote these questions down at like 3 a.m. one night, I did list all of them happily enough. Oh boy, 3 a.m. Oh boy, 3 a.m. <laughs> Who does podcast uh, prep at 3 in the morning? <laughs> usually I, uh, I, typically I list 11. I'm curious what your 12th one is. Oh. Um, but but I, I would love to hear from you from memory what the, uh, what, what these groups are. Uh, so first off, the Falcon Corps. Uh, members of the Upper Crust. They're a, the, uh, we just uh, described them, a group of elite warriors sent by the uh, the Gabrian Empire to claim the island. They ride atop giant falcons and control the aerials of the, the island. They've tried a different couple pitches for power over the years. Lately, it's kind of a recruiting effort <laughs> where it's like, uh, hey, we're not that bad. The Empire's, <laughs> uh, the Empire's okay. Hey, come, come on, do training with us. We have a we have a contest every year to see who could be the best archer, uh, or earn your wings with the, the Gabrian Empire, uh, which has had mixed success. Uh, and they've been doing that for about forty years, I think, right? Yeah, forty-two, I think, is the number in my book. Hmm. Answer to life, the universe, and everything. I highly recommend for any dungeon masters out there. I want to throw at least one good tip out there. Uh, Obsidian is what I use to organize my my notes. It's a, a free app that uh, lets, lets you allow, lets you organize different uh, pages like you might a Wikipedia article, so you can hyperlink in between them. Now, so every time I have a session, every time I have a session, I make a page for it, and I say, "All right, these are the PCs, these are the NPCs, locations they go to," and it allows me to quickly su- shuffle between notes. All right. Well, let me just go. Let me just check something really quick. www.wells Fargo.com. Click. Huh, you know what? Actually, I don't recall seeing any checks in here from Obsidian. So, can it? <laughs> okay. They're free. <laughs> yeah, but also, like, don't get. <laughs> okay. Like, Squarespace is never going to notice us. <laughs> you're, you're right. We really need to get Squarespace's input on this. Uh, <laughs> Anyway. I will. I'll plug. I'll plug World Anvil when they plug us. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, but anyway, we're also way off topic already. So. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, the big house. Big house. The casino-based mafia that runs the dregs. Hmm. Uh, leaders: Big House Kraus, this uh, a clean-shaven dwarf, which is scary enough. But he uh, <laughs> uh he kind of threw uh through the uh. He's called the King of Copper because of the grip that he has over the uh, the poorest members of the the islands. Uh, they've got a couple uh, major stakes in the nefarious <laughs> works. They have uh, divisions that are devoted to uh, pushing drugs around the the islands. Uh, the kind of fighting rings and stuff. You saw <laughs> the situation I described took place at the uh, the floating graveyard, one of their arenas. Uh, and the big house itself is a massive casino uh, that, uh, yeah, the as you know, the house will always win. Yes. Uh, and this is a funny one. And maybe you could go into a little bit of the history here, but the Lollipop Guild. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, named after the group from uh, the Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. which when I I heard it on a rewatch, I said, "Man, that'd be it'd be so funny if they were assassins." Yeah, I think <laughs> it's a it's a it's a hidden assassins guild. Wasn't that like a? I think that was a a bit that we did. I remember in your parents' living room, like we were just going back and forth of like the lollipop guild is like. It's like the Assassin's Guilds and uh, like the, oh gosh, I can't name any of the other ones because no one can except the biggest <laughs> no. Oz heads. <laughs> the the, the Ozziums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that might be what they're called. Who knows? But yeah, uh, that's uh, that's what inspired them. But they are, it's funny because uh, they have always been like a kind of playable guild. A playable faction on the table, but no one's ever picked them, so thus they've become more and more shrouded over time in mystery. Uh, they, they're the oldest faction on the island. They were, like, kind of the ones to, to found it after this uh, this great grand uh, uh, explosion occurred. Mm. And, uh, yeah, they are uh, a huge kind of question mark in a lot of ways. Uh, they're the ones that you... They're not, like, ordinary hitmen like the Grey Men are, but they are the, like... You give us uh, a, a king's ransom, and we will we will not stop until this person is dead. Every member of our guild will die, and we will ex- exploit every magical weapon in our arsenal to make sure that this is uh, this is done right. Mm. Uh, so very very scary, uh, very scary. Only member, only short and small races can uh, participate and become members. So there's a kind of awe that surrounds. Uh, gnomes and, and halflings on K Caldera. People, people tread lightly around them. Interesting. Uh, now you mentioned them, so let's talk about the Gray Men. The Gray Men, uh, not not uh, an idea that came from the. Uh, I think they might literally be called the Gray Men from the Wheel of Time series. Uh, it's a. They are hitmen that look entirely ordinary. Uh, that's kind of. Uh, they 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 realm from the kind of uh, I can, you cannot point this person out in a crowd they they blend in perfectly to the total edge lords <laughs> of like you know with the gray men we were we were all black we hide in the shadows <laughs> their their leader is called Mister Shadow <laughs> uh, who, uh, who no one has ever seen before who only appears in kind of shady, shady silhouettes in street corners. Uh, but yeah, they are all—they sign black contracts to to kill various people, always traveling in pairs uh, as as they uh, go about the island. Yes, the gray men have a buddy system. Uh, it's always—it's helpful to have a buddy. Hmm. It's like, uh, isn't one of them called the shadow, and the other is called uh, the other thing? Uh, once you get to a certain level of gray men, you can actually export your shadow mm. from your body. Uh, yeah, they they have some some magic to them. I, I won't reveal, uh, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, next, the roustabouts. Yeah, these are the uh, forget about you didn't see anything kind of smugglers. Mm. Uh, they if you want something moved from here to there on the island, they're the guys to get. Uh, so they mostly command the command the waterways of the the cauldron. That's the big kind of uh, bay in the center. Mm. And, but uh, yeah, they are often going on missions often uh it's i want to say working the shadows but that's the gray men <laughs> they're the ones that are like operating in plain sight 
Well, the shadows are pretty crowded in Cape Caldera, I think. Uh, more people are in the shadows than in the light, if you can, if you can believe it. <laughs> well, let's talk about one that does uh, at least nominally work in the light. Mm-hmm. And that is the snow cloaks. Yeah, the. <laughs> it's funny because it's like, all right, uh, thieving villain, <laughs> like you know, assassin hitman, uh, paladins, <laughs> the the religious city watch. So it's kind of like a a weird coincidence that they found themselves here, but their uh, their god Tala, uh, the goddess of mercy, uh, deemed this island a uh, a a holy land of hers. Uh, she has a a big shrine that they they built for her, where apparently she landed and spoke to her her children. The the children of Tala is what their official name is. This is also kind of based on the children of light and wheel of time, mm. but they. Uh, yeah, they uh, do what they can to kind of represent the peace. Whose peace that is, is a little up for debate. Uh, but they uh, they try to bring order to a very chaotic land. They're often, uh, I would call, misca- uh, miscast and the goody-goodies. But there are, there's plenty of corruption uh, among their ranks. And uh, they, I, I would call it, are not as white as their, uh, their cloaks may, uh, may lead you to believe. Hmm. All snow cloaks are, in fact, bastards. And speaking of bastards, let's talk about the blood robes. Uh, yeah, the uh, b- blood robes are. Uh, there's a lot of uh, pairings and dualities on, on the island. Uh, there's some more studious wizards, and then there's more street smart kind of ones. The ones that will learn whatever kind of dark and twisted magics that they can. Uh, they operate uh, all throughout the islands, uh, the upper crust, the dregs, the merchant circle, uh, usually using networks of sewers and, uh, and underground uh, corners and stuff like that. You never know who might be a blood robe. They, they're uh, n- known for their scarlet red uh, cloaks that they wear in meetings. Sometimes uh, the cloak will be a different color to match the blood of the creature. Uh, crawfolk, big kind of crab-like people, will have blue blood robe clothes to match their their blue blood. Oh, that's nuts. Uh, Yeah, uh, but they often uh, are practitioners of uh, terrible magics, uh, ones that self-inflict, cause harm to themselves to cause more harm to others. They're ones that are not afraid to summon uh, demons, make deal with devils, and the like. Speaking of making deals with the devil, Mm -hmm. let's talk nailing these. Let's talk about, uh, in, in some more metaphorical sense, maybe, than actually the literal D&D sense of making a deal with the devil. Maybe, I don't know. But let's talk briefly about the Bank of Iron and Ivory. Yes, commonly known as the Two Eyes, because, you know, Iron Ivory, you get it. Uh, they are vampires. Ah. Uh, they are they are blood-sucking bankers. Uh, vampires are the majority of the... Uh, of the bank's operations, and uh, they are one of the oldest uh, factions in the the whole world. Uh, this is just one of their their branches that takes place on this island, and they control the wealth of the upper crust. So it's the those nobles that want to get access to their their wealth that they may have stored overseas, or like you know, oh thank God you're here. I had all my like you know all my wealth is rolled up into you. It's like oh you can take that out for a price. A lot of people owe uh, much of their lives and livelihood to the to the bank and are under their thumb uh, much more here when they have no other resource than they even were on the mainland. 
So uh, that that kind of ruthlessness is uh, the bane of many, uh, many a member of the island. The uh, kind of a direct competitor of Big House Kraus. He he's the king of copper. They control the gold of the island. Let's talk about gold. Let's talk about the Merchant Church. Yeah, the third money lender on the island. Uh, the Merchant Church controls the Merchant Circle, the band in between the the upper crust and the dregs. Uh, this is where, like, it's kind of through their protection that people are allowed to kind of do regular commerce on this island of thieves. Uh, of course, they uh, require a tithing of the people that they protect. So, yes, no, they're they're still thieving in a whole different way. Uh, they claim to worship the god Hale, the god of gold. <laughs> they have a like a the the hall of Hale. Is this uh this place where they have uh statues to like all the different deities of the world, and of course they get a, a cut of any offerings you you provide for them. There, uh, yeah, it's it's a corrupt uh, religious organization uh, that uh, kind of controls the market streets. Yes, uh, the Hall of Hail being one of between that and uh, the Bank of Iron and Ivory. I'm constantly amazed by the amount of restraint that Adam shows in not making absolutely everything ever a uh, an alliteration. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. I, I'm 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 not proud of 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 many of the ones I've done, but uh, yeah, no, I, I sometimes you know alliteration was uh, was old Adam. Now I tried to do wordplay. Hmm. Well, Caldera itself is even. Yeah, yeah. But that's just a name. Yeah, I, I'm guilty. Guilty. <laughs> guilty. Um, so speaking of guilt, let's... And speaking of more nominally reputable organizations on the island, um, of the second to last faction that I've listed here is the Academy of Sharp Arts. Yeah, the... Uh, so uh, they live in, like, kind of one of the only leftover structures from, like, before, the, before this great uh, eruption occurred. And it's uh, this, uh, it's sticking out of the upper crust. It's a renowned magical academy. Oh, and where they, it's not, uh, not just magic, they also teach uh, sword play and music. They have three schools the school of the mind, the body, and the soul. Uh, it's uh, populated by professors living and dead. A lot, something about it uh, allows that professors that pass on to their ghosts to still live about the halls. Uh, so you can get to your education from some of the oldest members of the uh, of the island, uh, and uh, yeah, so it's a place that's kind of a lot of people will even send their their children to K Caldera. Uh, a lot of noble families are like, look, this is a place they can get some of the best education in the whole world. Unfortunately, those students fall into into a lot of trouble being in a land of pirates. It's a college town. It's a college town, technically. Things get a little rowdy. Yeah, I, it's don't don't worry don't worry, Tyler. It's only right next to Dead Man's Gambit, the giant cliff fall. <laughs> and speaking of rowdiness, mm -hmm. uh, what better faction to end on than the Scalds? Yeah, the the antithesis to the Academy. <laughs> they're the uh, they're the kind of uh, the book learning musicians that like you know your classical composer types where if you want to learn the street tunes 
and the the bard drinking songs, you go to the Skalds, a group of rowdy warrior poets. They uh, they live in the dregs, and they are often many. <laughs> every bar in the dregs and tavern has to have a yes or no policy when it comes to the Skalds, because uh, they'll treat you right, but they will destroy the place. <laughs> in their uh, in their many outings, uh, yeah, some of the some of the strongest and fiercest fighters on the island, uh, but also some of the uh, often hired for muscle by other groups. Uh, they have a I would call it a very personal relationship. Their leader's named uh, Valadrian. She's a dragonborn who will like will show up just literally at, at any like scald event, <laughs> like no problem. She doesn't, like, sit on a council or have a, a great high status, like Big House Kraus. But she, uh, like, yeah, it kind of shows off that, yeah, the Skalds are all uh, about uh, each other. And trying to, uh, I would call, form a family uh, between their, their members more than many others are, uh, are capable of. Yeah. I've played two characters in Cake Aldera, and uh, mm -hmm. going over that list of all of them makes me want to play a character in each of those factions. Yeah, that that's the idea about it. Uh, it it's not a world that... So, I really enjoyed creating a, um, a singular setting uh, that takes place over time. I, I've, I've had maybe about 20 different players, uh, actually more, I think more than 20 players in g games that I've run. Like I, uh, my local d, &D group, uh, we, our DM was busy one, one session. So I said, Hey, I'll run you guys a one shot in this world. Uh, uh, there's a, and there's been a couple other groups that I've, I've done similar stuff for doing that. Let, let adds layers and layers on top of it. So it really, uh, it, it means that, uh, a character that I introduce in one can is just there for the next one. Like no questions asked, no long explanation needed. It's a it's a deep world, and uh, because of that, yeah, yes, uh, the the faction system, this these kind of eleven or so groups that are all uh, at each other's throats. One can be cast as the hero, or one can be cast as the villain in each story. <laughs> so uh, some groups uh, are you know. Big on the big house, like you know, oh, there are guys. <laughs> Some of them are like, oh, I hate those those fuckers. Mm. Uh, so that's a, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's very it's a great opportunity for it, and I'm yeah, I it was designed for exactly that purpose. I'm glad I'm glad you feel that way. Good, good. Now, well, now let's wind the clock back, bringing a little bit of Lipton back in. The first ever session you played in K Caldera. Mm -hmm. What was that session like? I played a test game for uh, with uh, my then girlfriend, now wife, Alex. Aww. Yeah, uh, she she played a. And it was my first time like DMing proper, and it was great because she had never played before. She didn't know I was I was messing up <laughs> or anything like that. <laughs> uh, but she played a a paladin uh, who was like searching for her brother. Uh, on the island, and I had a bunch of kind of, I would call, like, mini, uh, mini situations that I threw at her. For example, uh, someone had, had seen her brother, but had to, <laughs> there was a, like, a, a deacon who his little chapel was being overrun by, uh, by undead in the, in, you know, in the catacombs beneath it. <laughs> so he was like, you know, oh yeah, I'll, t I'll tell you what I know, but you have to help me clear out these skeletons first. 
Uh, that that kind of, that kind of early level two D and D stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you know a, a bit of that, and it was the it was a slow intro into all the factions for almost like my own benefit. I think I just had a couple like big house uh, like thugs show up at the end, and it said, and that, that's when I said like, oh cool, they are to be the heroes in this story, and uh, and kind of the uh, the antagonist in another one. So uh, so yeah, I, I, that's. Uh, but please, I'm, I'm interviewing myself. What? <laughs> Go on. It's an interview. The point is for you to mostly talk. I guess so. So, what is a kind of quest that you might get in K Caldera? Hmm. Uh, most of my games are de- designed as missions, <laughs> I'll say. And honestly, heist missions have come up pretty frequently. <laughs> Uh, it's usually Faction A wants to steal something from Faction B. Mm. Uh, the Roustabouts learned about a merchant church vessel that has crashed on a nearby island. Uh, the goal is to to get there uh, before, uh, before everyone else learns about it and scavenge as much as you can. Bring it back here and we'll try and pawn it off for the, the, the most money that we can make. A, uh, an academy wizard shows up to your uh, your group gathering in a ta- that he gathered in a tavern to uh, uh, to let them know that hey I had a professional partner who died recently and his office is full of all kinds of magical uh, contraptions and stuff I need you guys to uh, go in there uh, break open his uh, his safe and bring me his Enchiridion that he wrote all his uh, his notes and stuff on uh, the gray man mission of hey uh, we have a black contract. There's a, a member of the Falcon Corps that's gotta go. Uh, they're always up there in the in their roost, their impenetrable fortress. But but at uh, what's it? At flights and wings, they've got a uh, they've got a karaoke night that they're gonna be at. Go there, get it done, and get out of there. Okay, I rolled a fourteen plus twelve. Does that mean I can kill them with an arrow? <laughs> Uh, pl- plus 12 yeah no you're you're good <laughs> the day is saved by ren audubon once again <laughs> she just like shoots from like up in the sky somewhere <laughs> yeah no, an arrow just comes down and spikes one of them to the ground <laughs> got their ass um anyway what is a monster or a kind of monster that we would only be able to find in or around k caldera Ooh. Okay, so I, I will say that because of the, the nature of the setting, being a major city, it's hard for me often to find monsters to place them there. Mm. And when there is a monster, they're usually disguised in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's almost like a common go-to, because how many monsters in the Monster Manual have like a, oh, disguised self, they can do this at will all the time, so that you, you don't know that you're dealing with a devil or a hag. Or something, uh, something of that nature. Uh, so, uh, unique ones to the, uh, to the island, to the setting. Uh, am I allowed to list a, a humanoid? Yes, I think so. Okay. Uh, well, there was a, a homebrew that I found that was pretty awesome. It's a Warlock Pact of the Deck. Uh, so, it, it's a it's a card-slinging, uh, like, Warlock, uh, you know, ar- archetype. And that can... Which I th- thought matched the uh, the energy of the uh, the big house perfectly. I designed a couple characters, including one of the the four suits, like 
Big House Krauss is like kind of four lieutenants. Uh, his name is Spade. He's designed after that kind of pact of the deck. Cool. So, uh, they, a kind of, I would call it a, a luck and card based uh, creature that you would not see most anywhere else. You have to get very specific. Mob, casino, <laughs> uh, uh, a monster. So, going back to uh, that first session, mm-hmm. did you create K Caldera as a setting for that session, or did you organize the first session so you could play a D&D game in K Caldera? Ooh. The, it was definitely that, the second one. Uh, the the, the K Caldera was a setting that I was making for... Uh, it was going to be a, a, a big uh, summer game that you took p- part in. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, I said to myself, I I need to... I can't bring this in squeaky clean new. I want to get some dirt on this first. So, had some mini games leading up to that. Had some cousin games leading up to that. And this uh, topped even all of those that says, Okay, before anyone that's ever seen a D&D before, <laughs> let, let me see if I can understand this setting. Mm-hmm. And, yeah... I, some uh, something that came up immediately then was that are there any trees in Kekaldera? And this is like a this is something that I ran to as a yeah, as just a fantasy a fantasy writer. It's the you have to know all the rules about your world, even ones, and if you don't know it, you have to be ready to make it up. Mm. <laughs> Where uh, I fortunately was aware of this, but uh, a caldera, um, volcanic mountain, not super common for for trees to be we had there right on kind of a, a rocky crack there's been a couple that have been imported but it's not like a like a tropical island with a bunch of uh, palm trees mm. and stuff so that was something that i was asked and i had to like really quickly like hang on a second <laughs> and look up the real world counterpart which is a a great thing to have but uh, uh t- t- to solve that uh the session was made for to explore the world and it really got me started rolling on that because I said, okay, cool. So now I've, I've got a couple characters established in this world. What are oh, what are some other characters, some other angles? Let me look at the, in my next game, I had it, it featured the Blood Robes heavily, a group that I hadn't gone into in the last one. The following one got into the Academy, which I hadn't touched. So each one, it kind of, uh, it, I think of the, the, the factions as uh, parts of a circle, a table, if you will. A top, and it tilts to one side when I explore one in a session, maybe even two, but then I go, it's like the other corner for the next one. Hmm. Now, uh, I played in, as we just said, uh, I played in one of those cousin games, which was. Yes. Uh, yes, it was me and my brother, my brother's girlfriend, um, our mutual cousins, uh, Aaron and Rachel were there, uh, and I played a character named Molon Barathus. Spelled with a B emoji. Yes, uh, as, as we know. Yes, I made her as a uh, cleric of Saren Ray with the criminal background again to kind of show off to like all of the cousins because some of them were playing for the first time, like to show off like, hey, here's like a character type that you might not think of uh, is mm. like a cleric with a criminal background. So it's like, this is the kind of stuff you can do. Yeah, uh, p- people like Alex especially are, are really think, like, okay, R- an RPG, I, she plays Diablo. She's like, I can pick th- three things. I can pick, like, four different classes. And it's like, no, you you could, uh, there's race multipliers, there's background multipliers. You, there's really, 
a lot of different ways you can have a construct a character. And even every uh, outlander, elven fighter, uh, there's still a lot of different versions of that character. Yeah, uh, I remember uh, one time a new player asked me a question of, like, which class do I pick if I want a bow and arrow? And it's like, well, there's any. You know, like, any, any of them have, like, you know, bows and arrows as uh, any of the martial classes, really. Yeah, and there's a, it's almost like a second question, which is like, do you want them to be magic arrows? Mm -hmm. Do you want to be uh, really good at hunting? Do you want an animal companion with your bow and arrow? <laughs> Would you like an animal companion with your bow and arrow? I like that you're like, I like that you're making it like a fancy restaurant. Yes. Do you want your bow and arrow with a side of martial arts? <laughs> I don't know why I reacted like that. That's a weird... A, a racial bow and arrow? Or one that you got from training. You just go into a full, like, Disney second act song. Yeah. So, uh, for that summer game that you created the setting for, ultimately, mm -hmm. um, that was in our old D&D &D group uh, that was uh, our cousin and uh, a lot of his friends. And uh, a, we got together every six months between winter and summer for a semi-annual game, for a semi-annual one-shot. We also had a campaign or two going at any given time. That group eventually mm -hmm. fell apart. And by fell apart, I mean I lost my invitation to join. Uh, just because, uh, well, you know, we grew apart. Uh, people went through some transitions and all that and things. Uh, and one of them... One of those reasons was because I was I was Falcon Core and everybody else was Big House and they were like Alley Alley Alley. The military is problematic. <laughs> You're crazy for taking the Falcon Core seriously. Now anyway, my character loves the mob. Hey, Baba Ganoush, let's break a lady's legs. Yeah, it, it's always a, a tough thing because of how many. Uh, it, it, it's very. I think players majorly will skew good mm -hmm. regardless of what their alignment says in game yes and I, I i've been i've been struggling to kind of rewrite the alignment system to to something that almost like matches with the factions instead of the kind of just good bad dichotomy mm. but everyone is very self-interested in, in the games in, in that one there was uh, six players and between them five different factions that people had different kind of stakes in Everyone was a part of at least two. Some people, like, had even three. There was a point system instead of background. Yep. Every game I try to rewrite some piece of it if it's with experienced players. So, yeah, that time I was like, all right, the background, let's uh, let's rework this. So, yeah, instead of saying, like, oh, I'm a criminal. Everyone on this island's a criminal. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, I have three points in Falcon Corps and two points in uh, in the Roustabouts, which is what uh, Ren Audubon had. Yeah. Uh, and different, you have different perks for how many points you put, put into one or another. And that faction system, that was good ultimately because it let there be a lot of like shared paint between all the different players. Where it's like we could all play different factions, but also each one of us had some shared factions between us. It was almost like a cheat code for getting a, a campaign worth of like little micro relationships into a one shot. A faction system has its pitfalls, but it is really... I honestly think it's a fun way to go into... Like, it's a very interesting genre of D&D &D game that I think Adam has more or less mastered at this point. Oh, thanks. Well, 
yeah it, it, it's not not every game is is designed for it i think it's especially tough with new players mm. who like expect that kind of lords of the ringsy world traveling adventure and stuff like that I, i've fortunately had some very good uh new players that have have caught on quickly but usually uh, oftentimes and this is a uh, this is, seems to be standard across it uh, players don't like being told what to do mm. so, so having a boss <laughs> like like usually the the fantasy that people are trying to escape to is a is one word that's like ah we have all the freedom in the world and and the faction means that all right you have a you work for a group you have a boss that boss tells you what to do most players will uh, come to some friction against their their leader it's it's very common in a fa faction game so you have to it's it's almost like being open to having them shift around uh, being open to uh them having those sparks with the, the leaders right now I, I have a lot of uh issues because uh in that that major summer game uh, a lot of faction leaders uh, <laughs> faction leaders died uh major world events occurred uh, and lately I've been playing like well I really like the 11 factions <laughs> so like uh, I've set games before them so it's like okay suddenly characters have like plot armor that only I know about so if like someone doesn't like a faction leader that that dies later on it's like well shit now I have to get really creative in how I and how I frame this uh, this conflict hmm. it's tough to it, suddenly I have all these uh, prequel problems that uh, I think I'm, I'm now uh, very sympathetic to, towards writers that have to deal with them. Yeah. I mean, considering that we don't have to really worry about spoilers, uh, the faction leaders that died in that uh, summer game, Knee Deep in a Surging Storm, the name of the one-shot was, mm -hmm. uh, were Big House Kraus met his end. Yes. And the uh, leader of, I believe, the Merchant Church, the Parrot Priest. Uh-huh. As well as the uh, the leader of the Falcon Corps. Uh, yeah, it was a, uh, like, a, a, st a staged coup by uh, a Big House Kraus. He hired um, Lollipop Guild assassins to kill other leaders and hired a Greyman to try and kill himself, uh, someone that he could easily kind of defend against. It caused a big stir among the, the factions. And uh, the players solely revealed this throughout their uh, their adventure. And uh, the members, the three members of the big house, had the, an option that I, I was happy to kind of provide for them. It's like Kraus gave them an ultimatum. It's like, do you want to side with me or this kind of newfound group that you have? <laughs> Which, uh, you know, of course, I think most, like I said earlier, most players are going to lean good. And even though I was kind of, des I designed the combat to sway. Uh, asymmetrically if it that was the case it did not and they all uh, chose to be on the party side and yes uh, kraus was uh put down at mm. the end of that yes and uh as you said i think one of the reasons i was very emotionally like i had a lot of character bleed because of the leader of the falcon corps who at that point was hala valsignet uh mm -hmm. met her end at the hands of a lollipop guild assassin, which felt like another stab in the gut because it was like it's the silly, it's the silly one. Yeah, it, it was a it was a tough one too. We had a we had a mini game before it's where it's like there was this big rescue mission that you had, where uh, uh, where the Falcon Corps members had to uh, rescue uh, Commander Wickstrom, mm -hmm. uh, who's then Lieutenant Wickstrom, 
from like a from a vessel and uh, reunite him with his uh, with with the Falcon Commander Hala, who was uh, like his his lover. It, it was really emotional, touching. I'm like, oh shit! I wrote into this that that you you were going to lose your your leader off screen. Yeah. Well, the other thing is Ren's. I'm very interested in Ren as an heir Genasi. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm interested in Genasi not being born as a result of like a tryst between a genie and a mortal, which is the normal kind of backstory. Yeah, I think that's often, uh, there's a lot of uh, races that fall under that, like Tiefling, for example. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks it's like, oh yeah, devil plus uh, plus humanoid, you're, you're good. And, and it's just like, you can just have devil blood that activates. Yeah, like, <laughs> long back in the past, you have some uh, devilish ancestor, or uh, some ancestors that made a pact with something, and it's uh, coming to, you know, coming to the fore now. But, yeah, you had an arch-devil patron, like, way back when. Yeah. Someone in the family line. But in Ren's case, she was born during an elemental storm, is uh, what I said. Hmm. I've, I thought that was very piratey, like, born in a storm. Her father, like, went missing in action during a mission. And I thought, I headcanoned that it was in the same storm. And, like... Uh, and like oh. Hala was in his group because she was like lower in the ranks then, so it's like they were like buddy buddy, mm. uh, and that's all head canon on my part. I can't I can't canonize that. But uh, and then, uh. <laughs> well then following that, like Ren's mother kind of just totally checked out, especially with the postpartum, mm-hmm. and uh, it's she was kind of raised by the Falcon Corps, in the Falcon Corps, of the Falcon Corps, any preposition you want, except against. Um, <laughs> and Hala was kind of a maternal figure for her, and she was kind of the only one she had. So, like, I went into that whole game just, like, smacked in the face of, like, and, just, like, my, this really yeah, complicated... My, my, my mom just died. Yeah, and so Basically. and so everybody's yeah. like, oh, hey, let's have, like, a fun, goofy mafia time, eh, <laughs> Baba Ganoush? And meanwhile, I'm, like, a military brat whose mom just died, so of course, like, I'm gonna start all this friction, and of course, I'm gonna get too into it, and of course, I'm going to, like, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna, I was that guy at the table, is what I'm <laughs> trying to get at, and I want to cop to that. Yeah, well, I, uh, I think that we have ha- found new avenues to explore Ren's story, especially on this show. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, and it's been fun to have this kind of, uh, like, okay, and that was definitely the uh, the outcome of the game was a lot of, like, okay, this was a, a gathering of these characters, and they, there was very separate games going on here with what's, uh, what's happening there. The future of the big house is in question. Uh, the Falcon Corps... Like, it's clearly uh, staging some kind of big comeback to this event. And uh, the, uh, yeah, and some other uh, other parties are at play. So it's like uh, our uh, game, Cotton the Riddle, as it's called on our show, uh, I think uh, Earning Your Wings, as it is in my notes, is uh, a flashback 10 years before this, where we learn uh, about uh, Ren's kind of uh, a piece of her history. A uh, this kind of a glimpse into this relationship, a uh, and a, a an example to show off this Sphinx, in a fun, in a fun game. Yeah, 
your uh, point, we went over a couple monsters from D&D that we might have a Finding Monster Right episode about. And mm-hmm. uh, I think you settled. You said you settled on the Sphinx because uh, the best way to do the Sphinx is essentially a two-hour improv scene. Yeah, uh, it's the best way to show off all the the aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, with the the riddle game that we had a fun time with. Oh yeah, the puzzles and uh, and and so forth. But yeah, that's uh it, it was very functional because I want to get Ben introduced as a member of the Falcon Corps. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to, yeah, throw back, get back in the, that Rend mindset. And, uh, yeah, paint a, uh, add a couple uh, uh, Easter, Easter eggs and features for the, the following game, which, uh, which uh, we'll be, be doing shortly. Yeah, we're going to do that in the spring, hopefully. Mm-hmm. So before Ren had it out for the Big House, the Lollipop Guild, um, the Snowcloaks, the Bank of Iron and Ivory, I think the Merchant Church, the Academy of Sharp Arts, um, <laughs> half the island, basically. <laughs> and also yeah, maybe yeah. the Gabrian Empire itself, which we learned was up to some really shady shit. Guys, it turns out the uh, the <laughs> world-spanning empire uh, is, um, checks notes here. Oh, kind of bad, actually. <laughs> yeah, they... Uh... They got a lot of. They do a lot of what it takes to to, to get th- those wings ain't spread in a in good in a calming hug. Yeah, my perception is that the Gabrian Empire at large is not like they're not like Sauron. They're not like you know big bad evil guy, but they are an empire. So necessarily, by virtue of what an empire is, they're kind of evil, just not cartoonishly. Yeah, uh, the Empire Building ain't a uh, uh, ain't for the the weak of heart. Mm. Yeah, and it's a lot of a you know if someone wants to build something to their backstory, like uh, character wise, I'll say sure. <laughs> like you know, some sometimes you you raise a flag at things, and sometimes you say like you know that I think I, that makes a lot of sense for that to be in this world. Uh, speaking of caught in the riddle, mm-hmm. so an element that uh, the listeners would know about um one that they don't know about is that of course ren and molon are in love (laughs) because it was a running joke because every time i played molon i uh, like every time i played molon i played it in a game with alex sometimes and she would always like take opportunities to like make out with her husband on graph paper which is and i was uh, Alex has a habit of, of flirting with all of my characters. It's adorable. Regardless of if she even likes them. It is very... <laughs> it's very, very cute. But, uh-huh. uh, then, like, they'll make the joke of, like, Molan, why don't you... Uh, like, uh, Molan, do you flirt with anybody ever? And it's like, I don't know. Like, sometimes I just enter this state where it feels like everybody in the world is my cousin. <laughs> so, right. so, So you've solved this by shipping your two characters together. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I will uh, finish that fanfic in time for that uh, spring game. Maybe I'll put it oh, on the good. Discord even. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that'd, that'd be cute. Um, not everything is cute. You know what? It is. I changed my mind. So uh, shift the focus a little bit to Fletcher. Uh, what was the process like for uh, creating Ben's character on your end? Uh, on my end, it's it's a, again, we're trying to construct, like, what members of the Falcon Corps that we don't have represented here. 
Uh, I talked to Ben about it. I explained the group, and it's kind of like once you like narrow down your faction, <laughs> once you say like you know oh, oh of these groups you're this one, and it's like ah cool. Uh, and he said I haven't played a, <laughs> a, a an adventurous character like this before, hmm. and so he went you know kind of classic Hobbit style, like you know a little fellow that's up for adventure. I I really like about Fletcher is that he's positive, <laughs> even though he sh- probably shouldn't be. Hmm. <laughs> like if you pay like much attention to like his his backstory the things happening to him it's like this guy should be a lot more negative and a lot more kind of jaded but he's kind of he's very counter in that and uh yeah so what ben said in the, in the episode usually he plays an elven bard <laughs> so he is excited to be playing a halfling druid fletcher is also uh from the mainland village of podunk and <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you haven't built the uh, mainland, any of the continents, in the same way that you've built K Caldera. Oh, uh, definitely not. It's a, it, to me, it's a, a snowball effect. I'm, a, I'm afraid that I am going to give every city the same level of death that uh, K Caldera has, mm. which is a, a scary thoughts process, <laughs> a, a daunting thought process, even. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where it's like, I know what the map kind of looks like. Like I said before, there's a ring system that surrounds the uh, the, the, the planets. Uh, there's a lot of snowy re- regions and deserty regions and a lot of more Mediterranean tropical stuff around the center. That's that's where I would focus on major things. But yeah, the once it gets a little frosty in that kind of Canada weather, like that's probably where a lot of these little towns that people will set their characters in. Uh, exist. So when you say they're like uh, cold or especially hot regions that are like, you know, between like, that are outside of the tropics, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, are those completely uninhabitable or mostly uninhabitable? Uh, uninhabitable by whom? Um, good point. I was thinking, well, let's start with humans. Uh, hu- humans, like here and there, there's like an outpost. Uh, and like usually it doesn't go that far, but uh, yeah, yeah, uh, I, I would call it again. I think of like uh, the way that Canada's built. Mm. It's like yeah, the pe- people that are hugging the the most inhabitable regions are are there. There's a couple specks that when you get to the northern territories, but it mostly gets to Taiga, where you'll find your giant uh, your ice giants in the uh, the creature codex and the. The Tome of Beasts, like all of the ice monsters, all live in those areas. Mm. If there's dra- if there's dragons in the, the world, they are hibernating in those parts of, of it. Mm. Like that that's uh that's what I think of when I when I think of those regions because of it's the rings. It's a little hard to describe describe without a uh, without pictures, but imagine the rings of Saturn. Uh, if you're sitting on the equator looking up, all you see is a line in the sky. If you're if you go north of that, the way that the angles work is that oh, most of the sky, most of the sun is being eclipsed by these rings, so that the land is shadow covered, the land is colder, and it becomes this kind of icy wasteland. Mm. So yeah, uh, a couple odd uh, outposts here and there, but largely, uh, largely no. It's where you would might go on a an ancient quest to find an old, an old temple or an old society. Uh, or, you know, go on a, uh, what you call it, a, a vision quest of sorts. Mm. Would reaching the North Pole of planet K. Caldera, which is, like, 
it doesn't have a name yet, but neither does the planet that Narnia is on. <laughs> would reaching the North Pole of that planet be like, uh, would that be like a moonshot or like a Mars shot even? Like in terms of difficulty? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, it'd, be, it'd be pretty rough to, to get there. I would call it uh, a, a near impossible for a, a tier two character. Uh, it's hard to say. D&D is a game of magical travel. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's a there's a magic temple there where you can talk to deities and stuff like that. Or some some great thing. I always thought it'd be funny if, if at the axis of a world there was actually, like, axes. <laughs> <laughs> like, this giant pillar structure that looks like it's a globe from far away. Revealing that the entire game takes place in a third grade classroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, Miss Frizzle just goes there every now and then. It's a, it's a lot of men in black energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but no, I, I'm. Sh- it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I, I would sooner have a quest to go to the, the ends of the earth than uh, one to, to go to different planes mm. in this world, honestly. There's not a lot of interplanar uh, action going on in this world. No, and that's uh, that's intentional by design. Mm. Uh, once you once you have as many like factions in a setting, it's like, it's like how many hats can you put on this thing? Mm. Like you know, oh, and in the Fey Wild, there's seven more factions of different Fey fighting over it. In the Shadowfell, seven again, and it's just yeah, uh, you. I, I tried to cap that off at, like, warlock patrons and stuff like that. Mm. There's some greater deity stuff, and one day I want to build out, like, the Pantheon. But so far, it's a build what you see, and uh, every session I try to build at least one new aspect of the world. Mm. Do you have a favorite NPC, or perhaps just an NPC that you like playing? Like, you know, not a favorite, not the favorite, but a favorite. And might we hear from them? Uh, Sure. Uh, so, uh, the one that comes to mind is one that has appeared just by, by nature of, like, necessity in a bunch of these games, uh, named Shady Grady. Shady Grady is, um, a, a black market dealer in the merchant circle, and, uh, various groups have needed, like, things, and, uh, things that aren't necessarily frontware for the shops and stuff like that, so he is there to provide those things. And uh, he had a big mission recently with the uh, with the members uh, to, to my friends that that played, where he uh, basically uh, blackmailed them into revealing that their location to Big House Kraus, who they were hiding from, and and, and so forth. So yeah, uh, his name it started off as a joke and slowly became like, no, this guy's actually got a lot of just. Uh, fun energy. He's great to drop on on players, and everyone kind of hates him. It's fun to play a slimy character. So, Shady Grady. Yeah, what's up, man? So, you are a sort of dealer of ill-gotten goods, is that correct? Listen, are you buying or not? Because I got places to be tonight. You're in my studio now, bitch. You're about oh, to shit. see. You're about to go to the pearly <laughs> gates. You better hope God's real. <laughs> rolls James Lipton rolls up James Lipton sleeves. I'm sorry. What was the question again? <laughs> uh, this is a dumb. 
So on inside the actor's studio, sometimes it'll be like your most famous role is Brian the dog. Might we hear from Brian? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he just talks like I do. Stop! Uh, don't! 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 <laughs> Why did I do that? I knew you were gonna do that. Why did I do that to me? Uh, you know, Brian the dog actually died recently. I'm, I'm splitting my brain into even more fucking factions than K Caldera itself. No worries. So. Uh, uh, let's wind it down here because we've been going for about three hours now. No, an hour <laughs> 13. Um, what are, in your opinion, the three most important things you need for your personal ideal D&D session? Oh. Huh. Uh, so, my ideal D&D session mm. uh, is things that I would have, things that my players would have. Uh, anything. Uh, okay. So... Ideal session would have uh, players uh, invest in the story mm-hmm. that's going on in front of them. I, I I like to build it like kind of one session at a time if I'm doing a long term campaign, so to, to cater towards their interests and like what directions, what bites they take. Uh, so invested players, uh, I can't have a game without player options. I, I like to, sometimes they're bigger than others, but giving them at least one or two routes to, two or three routes to choose from in terms of where their story's going next, what uh, what moves they have to, to again, given a, an, an ordinary mission, I want there to be degrees of success that they could have with it. Uh, I, I want it to, to be like, uh, they have the opportunity to turn on their, uh, the faction that they work for or, or other kind of, uh, you know, who to rat on between uh, between people that they, they're friends of theirs in the game. Uh, so let's do, and I think uh, on my end, when it comes to resources, must have is organized notes with obsidian. Damn it. <laughs> if you, if you find yourself at a, at a lack of D and D note organization, you should try obsidian. It's a free app where you organize your notes, like a Wikipedia article with hyperlinks and everything. Uh, Obsidian was also founded uh, with uh, with some seed money, and that seed money did come from Nazi gold. Right. So, uh, uh, yeah, uh, ha- ha- knowing where your notes are going, and uh, and having easy access to previous characters, and NPCs, and ideas, and things they can drop on your players. I've I've recycled a lot of stuff in that knee deep game. I had a big clock tower fight that that, that might have happened in the third act. Mm-hmm. That I, I then altered and put back into a different game when it uh, became relevant. So, yeah, uh, you never know what's uh, what might come up. So, uh, my final question-ish. Mm-hmm. If all of the millions of settings that have ever been created for a tabletop role-playing game in all of human history were lined up nose to tail and you picked K Caldera out of its place in that line, what would be its identifying characteristic? K Caldera is the blank setting. Hmm. I think I have to say the faction setting. Hmm. Just because of how many times we dropped that word this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Very fair. Very fair call. Yep. Uh, that, I, some people do uh, to kind of Mediterranean stuff better. Some people do pirate stuff better. Well, a lot of people do it better. I... It's it's funny. So rarely is actual pirate stuff going on. It's more of a a spice in this uh, this setting. Mm. 
Uh, but yeah, no, in terms of warring factions, gray morality, and stuff like that, uh, you can't top Kate Caldera. Uh, and so we will end with uh, a questionnaire originated by French television personality Bernard Pivot on his show Apostrophes after the Proust questionnaire, uh, beginning with, what is your favorite word? My, my favorite word is a syzygy. What is your least favorite word? Uh, probably moist. What turns you on? A moist syzygy. What turns moist. you off? A syzygy moist. What sound or noise do you love? I, I like the, uh, uh, I, oh, hang on, I actually have it right here. The sound of the word syzygy. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a portable speaker. That uh, when it when you turn it on, it does this cool little like uh, like I'm awake sound. Listen to this. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, yeah, it's good. What sound or noise do you hate? Uh, let's see. Like when uh, when you hit the wrong note on a harmonica, mm. but then you keep hitting that wrong note. What is your favorite curse word? Fuck. What profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt? Uh, a private eye. Like like the 40s kind, where I just, I just you know, sit in like a dark room with the, the blinds. What profession would you not like to do? Let's see. Probably, probably something very, uh, like, very basic, like a, like a secretary. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Uh, you can build your own world here. Look, you can build Cake Caldera and hang out in there for a while. And just other worlds. You have a great time. Have you considered Mormonism? <laughs> I, uh, I know that's a, a staple of their stuff. So, well, students, uh, I would like you to join me in thanking Mr. Lemma for joining me this evening. Remember, when you're inside the actor's studio... You're inside the actor's heart. Good day. Now. All right, Shady Greedy. Roll initiative. I got an eight. Oh, shit, it's a four. I got a 23. Okay. I fire two arrows. Oh, man, Shady Greedy's not going to make it out of this one. And scene. All right. Well, thank you for the uh, for the interview, Ali. I, I hope that my, uh, my knowledge of this world has been imparted on, on others, and they enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was fun, and also maybe a great podcast premise. Who knows? <laughs> well, uh, if you uh, if you if you feel ripped off and want another episode <laughs> of Fighting Monster Right, don't worry. We're doing ep- extra episode in March. Yes, yeah, we are gonna do. We're bringing back the Finding Monster Right After Dark uh, label uh-huh. to uh, put on some episodes that we do in between weeks. I don't edit them. I don't add extra workload to myself. It's just like. We're just going to jump in and do, like, a little discussion. Uh, yeah, we we usually have, like, uh, off weeks that we discuss stuff, and we thought it was, we have so much fun do- during them that we essentially are recording them, having some, uh, some light segments and uh, some guests, even. Yeah. Uh, I think next week, can we say it? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, next week, uh, we... We're in a Valentine's-y day mood, so if you thought this episode of Finding Monster Right was a little bit uh, atypical, we have a very, 
We have a very concentrated <laughs> Finding Monster Right episode coming up with Monster Fucker Bingo. Yes. And after that, you will ha- see uh, something that you've never seen before. Not even once. <laughs> so, uh, j- hang out with us on our Discord. Uh, tune in for the next show. Uh, thank you for the wonderful interview, Allie. You're welcome. Thank you for the wonderful interview, Adam. And uh, until next time. <laughs> Very good. Bridge Girl, Lumberwoods, King Kong, Moby Dick, Kaiju, Clifford, Grendel's Mom, Down Here, Slave, Near, Questing Beast, Jevodong. Find them, find them, gotta find them all. Gotta find them all, Monster Right.